Thank you, Micah, Michael, and Linda, and uh, good morning. Hope all of you have had a, a wonderful Merry Christmas and are looking forward to a Happy New Year. Um, it goes by quicker and quicker. The older you get, you need to know that. Um, I'm the ripe old age of 44, and it just seems like yesterday that we were starting 2014. Uh, but it is a, it's, a, it's a thrill to be here this morning. I want us to look at some lessons that we can learn from divine and defining moments. Lessons that we learn from defining moments. And we're going to pull this from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through mainly 14. We may kind of carry over there past 14 just a little bit. But um, today, as we kind of make the turn out of 2014 into 2015, most of us, I would imagine, are the same in that we will look back at 2014 and we will do some evaluation. Uh, We will look back on 2014 and we will... Talk about what went well, what didn't go well. We'll talk about the goals that we set for 2014 this time last year and uh, begin to try to figure out if any of those goals were met. If not, why not? If so, praise the Lord for, for, uh, for meeting goals. But without a doubt, all of us have experienced defining moments uh, this past year. Uh, all of us uh, have, have, have experienced moments, uh, good, bad, and ugly, that we would call defining moments. We're going to look back at these moments, and these moments will define us in many ways. And what I want us to do for the next several minutes is let these defining moments teach us some lessons, and we will pull these uh, lessons from Genesis chapter 22. Now, defining moments. Let me give you some examples of some defining moments that our nation has experienced, and these are some uh, from a long time ago. If I say the date November the 22nd, 1963, and I tell you that it's in Dallas, Texas, you will tell me that was what? They, President Kennedy was assassinated. How about 11.39 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, January the 28th of 1986? Uh, The space shuttle Challenger exploded just 73 seconds into flight. Oddly enough, the one thing that I remember about that, um, uh, about that event, was the speech that Ronald Reagan uh, gave to the nation. And he made a quote, he, he, he shared a line in that speech that is forever stuck with me. He said this, he said, our astronauts slipped the grips of earth and they touched the face of God. That's a def- how I remember that, I have no idea. But for whatever reason, I remember that line. I was 16 at the time. Obviously, if I say 8.46 a.m. Tuesday morning, September the 11th of 2001, all I have to do is ask you where, were you, the, where were you the moment that the news broke in to let us know that America is under attack? Those are defining moments. And those are moments that we still remember Uh, today. These are just a few that we could go through in our nation. I don't want to talk about our nation today. I want to talk about you as an individual, me as an individual. What are those defining moments that have taken place in our lives? Let me give you some words that would help define or describe for you what a defining moment is. How about this? Life-changing. I would say defining moments are life-changing. I would say also that perhaps they're a milestone. Many of you are going to be getting married this year. Many of you have had children for the very first time this year. Many of you, like me, are parents that are going to see their youngest or their, their firstborn child move off to college. Those are milestones. Those are defining moments. 
I would also say that defining moments are insightful. They provide, they provide insight for us. They, they open our eyes to, to the work of the Lord uh, going on around us. They, perhaps the, a defining moment for you is a critical choice. Perhaps you're, you're faced with a critical choice that you have to make and it will define you. Maybe it's a crisis point. Maybe it's a point in your life that you stand at a, at a crisis point. You stand at a crossroads and you could go either way. That's a defining moment. An unchangeable action, an opportunity, a misfortune, a pivot point. All these words describe for us what defining moments are. You need to know that defining moments can happen very quickly, yet they can also be very deliberate. They can be planned. They are, un, they are unalterable. They are memorable. And you'll usually remember the exact time and sometimes the exact hour that your defining moment occurred. I'm going to give you a personal illustration, and I, and I want to kind of give this uh, disclaimer. This is not about me. This is just what's going on in my life, all right? Uh, back in April, um, all last year, I just, uh, my, my health was just out of, out of control. Um, I ate everything in sight. Have you ever done that? I mean, I mean, just if it wasn't moving, I was eating it, all right? And, uh, and lo and behold, I got to the point to where I ended up, I think I weighed like 205 pounds at my actual heaviest. And, and me being 6'4", uh, 205, I really, I really looked good as a 6'4", balding, 205-pound, I'm just kidding, I, I'm, I'm barely 5'7", and so 205 pounds doesn't weigh, I mean, it doesn't look right, Rick, it doesn't look right on me at 5'7", at right, it looks good on you. But on me, it just doesn't look right. Uh, coupled with that, coupled with that, I was having dizzy spells. Man, I would be sitting in my desk, working away, and I would have this dizzy spell hit me. that I felt like I was going to fall out of my chair. And there would be times I'd literally have to lay my head on my desk, close my eyes, and just hold on, hoping it's going to pass. Come to find out, you have high blood pressure, you have all these issues, and I, I just got to the point where, you know what, if I continue on this path, I'll not see my daughter graduate from college, and I'll not see my son graduate from high school. So I decided I was going to get a hold of myself. So I sat down, and I created a plan, and I said, you know what, for as long as I can stand it, I'm going to, I'm going to eat only about 1,450 calories a day. I'm going to take away red meat. I'm going to eliminate milk. I'm going to eliminate all these things that I love. And I'm just going to uh, kind of live off 1,450 calories a day. And I started running again. So I want to show you a picture, okay? I want to show you a picture of me at about 205 pounds. Look at that gut. I am, a, I am a identity crisis. I've got an Auburn hat and a Sanford shirt on. Uh, Randy Pittman, where are you? You'll be proud of the Sanford shirt. There's the Auburn hat. That is standing in a subway station in Washington, D.C. Uh, that is not something under my shirt. That is me under my shirt, all right? So that's in Washington, D.C., about 205 pounds. Uh, this past November... I ran my very first half marathon, and I've got a picture up there of me finishing, there I am, uh, holding, the, uh, holding the sign, that's a, about 144 pounds right there, 
um, down from my 205, give or take. I made the uh, error of having the picture made, Danny, against your advice with the headlamp on. I forgot to take it off. I do look a little weird, but hey, I was proud. I finished my half marathon, and I'm training for a full marathon. I've gone from a 38 waist to a 31 waist. This is not, I'm, I'm just telling you where I've come. I feel great. I have energy. And I'm going to say something, and you're going to judge me, but I'm going to say it. I love life again. Have you, have you ever been in a point in your life where you just hated life? I'm really being transparent today. But I, I, I just, I didn't feel good. I was, I, I just, I was not happy. And it has more to do with weight loss. It has more, it has more to do with where I was with the Lord. God has a way of defining our moments, and he defined it for me. I want you to know that wherever you are today, that God is okay with it because he wants to take where you are today, he wants to take you to where he wants you to be. But you have to recognize where you are. If, if I'm standing up here behind the pulpit and I'm telling you that I didn't like life, it's okay for you to be in the same place, but you can't stay there. God wants to take your moments and he wants to define them for you. And one of the things, three things that I got from, from God defining that moment in my life is, is this. It, it confronted me. It challenged me, but ultimately it changed me. Look in chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 1 through, t, 1 through 2, and I want to see that defining moments confront us. God's Word says this, says, After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. It's important for us to realize Abraham had experienced a full life of faith up to this point. All you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 12 to find where God comes to Abraham and calls Abraham to do something that made no sense, to leave his homeland, to leave his father, leave his family, and to go to a place that God would show him when he got there. How do you like that? How do you put that in your GPS? You don't. So up to this point, up to the point of where we find ourselves in Genesis 22, God had, uh, Abraham had lived a full life. Man, he had lived a life of faith. He had been obediently following the Lord, and we find ourselves in chapter 22, and we find ourselves at the foot of Moriah. And Abraham stands at the foot of Moriah, facing yet the toughest act of faith yet. But I believe God had been preparing Abraham for this very moment. God had been prepping Abraham's spirit and heart up to this very moment for this toughest test. Again and again, you read, uh, you read the stories of Abraham, and you see where Abraham had been challenged to surrender. At first it was his father, now it's his son. 
It was as if God had come alongside Abraham, put his arm around him and said, Abraham, okay, now you are ready for the toughest challenge of all. God explains the test. Look in verse 2. It says, uh, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. His defining moment involved several things. First of all, it involved Abraham. It involved his son Isaac. What's significant about that? Well, Isaac had been the promised son. You look in Genesis 17, 19, God promises them a son through Sarah. He directs them to name the son Isaac because God would establish his covenant with him that would be an everlasting covenant for all his descendants. Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac. He was much loved. It was estimated, most commentators say, Isaac was probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 20. Then he says, go to the region of Moriah. God said, take your son, you and your son, and go to the region of Moriah. Moriah was a place for Abraham that would define his faith as a man that truly trusted God. We all have Moriahs in our lives. We all have Moriahs. We all have those places where God does the impossible or asks the unthinkable through us. We all have those moments where where we get to the foot of a mountain, we get to to a crossroads, we get to a point, and God is asking you for something that you don't want to let go of, or he's asking you to go to a place you don't want to go. He's asking you to do something that you don't see any humanly way of achieving it. We all, like Abraham, stand at the foot of Moriah and understand that what's going to take place is going to be beyond our ability. I ask you the question, are you standing in a Moriah now? Are you standing at a, at a crossroads? Are you at a point to where God is calling you to do something you don't want to do? Is he calling you to, to, to go to someone that you're afraid to go to? What is he, go, what is he calling you to? I believe God de- defines our moments. He, he divinely inspires our moments to achieve the impossible through us. And then God finishes instructions to Abraham. And he says, sacrifice him there. There it is. There's the news that Abraham didn't want to get. God wanted Abraham to give him his son. In other words, he wanted total surrender. Imagine for a moment what must be going on in Abraham's mind. When you hear these instructions and when you're confronted with this, uh, this action... Obviously, he remembers back to the day that God promised he and Sarah that, that Isaac would be born. He obviously remembers back to all the promises that were associated with Isaac. A defining moment, to say the least. I've learned that defining moments are good and bad. But be sure that God redeems all those moments for his glory in our good. I've always believed that God never wastes an experience. Good, bad, or ugly, He never wastes an experience. God redeems our moments, He redeems our experiences, and He uses them for His glory and our good. 
whether you're going through a horrible time right now, whether you just hate life, whether you are wondering what's going to happen tomorrow, know this, God is in the midst of it. God is in the midst of our junk. God is in the midst of of whatever it is that you are experiencing. God is there. And he wants you to, to, to relinquish control of your life, your moments, your decisions, and trust him. He's proven that he's trustworthy. Defining moments force us to make decisions. But number two, defining moments also challenge us. They confront us. They confront us with reality. They confront us with a decision. They confront us with a choice to make. But they also challenge us. We're going to see this in verses 4 through 10, actually 3 through 10 of 22. But I want to begin to draw a parallel for us, okay? As, as I begin to read this passage, you're going to, real quickly, you're going to see a foreshadowing of Jesus, See, I believe that, uh, that the Lord Jesus is woven through the entire Scripture from Genesis to the very end of the Revelation. It all points us back to the Lord Jesus. The Gospel is in it from Genesis to Leviticus to wherever, whatever book you're in, you'll find the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This event in Abraham's life points us to the Gospel and to the work of Christ. Let's look at the progression of events. Verses 3 through 5 We see an interesting thing. We see the way to the cross. Watch this. Let's read it together. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. How this place must have haunted Abraham in his dreams. It had to have kept him up at night. It had to have awakened him early in the morning. The scripture tells us that on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Let me say that again. On the third day, Abraham woke up and he looked from afar and he saw that place in a distance. Listen to what Luke chapter 23 verse 33 says. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. Moriah foreshadows Calvary. So Abraham walked to the place with Isaac. Finally, he and Isaac come to the place where the others would not go. Abraham gives them the instructions. Y'all stay here while I and the boy go further. He said, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In many ways, it was perhaps a dress rehearsal for Calvary. Listen to what Mark 14, 33 through 35 says. It says, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. There came a point in the life of Jesus 
that even Peter and John could not go. Jesus went forward alone, fell on his face, and prayed to the Father. Can you imagine the agony in the conversation between Abraham and Isaac? We're going to read Isaac's words here in just a minute, but can you imagine the agony in that conversation? It's much like the agony in the conversation that's recorded between Jesus and the Father there in Gethsemane. Abraham trusted God with all that he had, and now he was being asked to trust God with his most important thing. After all, didn't Isaac belong to the Lord to begin with? Let me, let me give you a little insight into my own life. I tend to hold on to the things hardest that aren't really mine to begin with. See, I believe that God entrusts us with things. He, he gives us things to, to, for us to be stewards. And as parents, perhaps the greatest thing that he gives us is, is children. And I've got two children. I've got a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. My, my, my daughter is getting ready to go, to go to Auburn in the fall. A side note, I've already sent money to Auburn and she hasn't even attended a class. I don't know how that works, but that's just the way it happens. And my son is growing up. He's, in, he's, in, he's about to be in eighth grade. And the dad of me wants to protect them from all that is bad and evil in this world. Doesn't want anything negative to happen to them. And as hard as I try, and as hard as I try to keep them within arm's length, eventually they've got to fly. So the best thing that I've learned that I can do is just to let them go to the Lord. Trust them to God's protective care. Now as a parent, I guide them and lead them and and shepherd them. But ultimately, the the best protection for their lives is entrusting them into the hand of God. Abraham was being asked to do that in a very real way. In verses 6 through 8, not only do we see the way of the cross, but we see the word of the cross. Listen to what verses 6 through 8 says. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered. Now, what I don't know, and what we don't know, how long did it take Abraham to answer? You know, we, we, we're not afforded that insight here, other than to know that it's just a continual sentence. We, we do know that they are making their way up to the place. How long did it take Abraham to answer? I don't know. Interesting question. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. To hear Isaac ask Abraham where the lamb was must have broken the heart of Abraham. It is also interesting to note here that Isaac went on his free will. There is nowhere recorded in the scriptures where it says that Abraham forced Isaac or that Isaac was was drug against his will. 
Everything that we have points to the reality that Isaac went on his own free will. He was obedient to his father Abraham, just as Jesus, the Lamb of God, was obedient to his father when he walked to Calvary. The Bible tells us that Abraham took the wood and placed it on Isaac. Placed it on Isaac. You can only imagine that the wood was getting heavier and heavier as they traveled to the top of the mountain. I do know this, that the weight he felt was his own cross. He was carrying a load that was placed on him, Isaac, that was placed on him by someone else. Just as Jesus carried his cross, he carried the cross because it was a burden that was placed on him because of our sin. Abraham then answers Isaac's Isaac's question about the lamb. And he says this. He says, God himself will provide. He did not know how or when or where God would do it. He just knew that he would. What faith. Are you there? Do you, do you feel the weight of the story yet? Are, are you there? Are you at the foot of the mountain? Perhaps you're on your way up the mountain right now in your own life. Perhaps you're carrying a burden. Perhaps you're being asked to do something that you don't want to do. Perhaps, perhaps you're having to offer something up to the Lord, to give something over to the Lord that you've been holding on to so tightly. Are you there? Maybe it is that you're in a place in your life where you're needing God to intervene. And you don't know how, you don't know when, and you don't know who. You just know that he will. That's Abraham. Abraham knew God would provide a a sacrifice. Whatever that was, be it Isaac or something else, he just knew God would provide. Verses 9 through 12, real quickly, we see the work of the cross. Listen to what he says. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the, top, on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac's question has been answered. Isaac asked his father Abraham, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. Where's the, where's the offering? Abraham's answer was, God's going to provide. They reach the top of the mountain. Abraham prepares the altar and places Isaac on top of it. Isaac receives his answer. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
we could see the step-by-step process of this offering. Building the altar, bringing the wood, binding his son, raising the knife. Each act is recorded for you and I to remember and to reflect on. But it is only when Abraham raised the knife to slay his son did God intervene. Think about this. We have no way of knowing what it cost Abraham to raise the knife and look his son in the eye. It's not recorded in the scripture. We have no way the weight of the burden that it cost Abraham to raise the dagger and to look his son in the eyes. Intending fully to slaughter his only promised son. Imagine the mental flashbacks in Abraham's mind to the first time he slaughtered a lamb. Imagine the mental flashbacks of seeing Isaac grow. But we see the work of the cross when Abraham places his son Isaac on the altar. We see the work of the cross when Abraham raises his knife to sacrifice his only son. But we see the work on the cross on behalf of Isaac when God provides a lamb. Abraham knew God would provide, and he did. It was just in his time. Lastly, defining moments change us. Defining moments change us. Verses 13 through 16 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it says to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I know that when we get to the point of total surrender, God steps in on our behalf and does what only he can do. Abraham's hand was stopped by the Lord. Abraham must have been overjoyed when the Lord's words came. And stopped his dagger. Abraham called this place. The Lord will provide. It was a defining moment. In the life and the faith. Of Abraham. I would contend it was a defining moment. In the life and the faith. Of Isaac. Abraham was taken to the very end of himself. And then God stepped in. And provided. Ever been there? Ever been to the very end of yourself. Only to have God step in. And provide? Ever been to the place that where if anything is going to happen, the only way it's going to happen is if God shows up? Perhaps it was in your family. Maybe it was your marriage. Maybe 2014 was a terrible year for your marriage. Maybe today you stand, uh, you, you stand and you dreadfully look forward to 2015 knowing that, that bad things are going to happen in your marriage. Maybe today you're headed, you've made a decision this week that uh, a divorce is your only answer. I would contend that that's not your only answer. I would contend that you give God room to work in your life. That God can take the negative effects of, of a bad marriage and he can define them for you and to grow your faith. And he can get glory, yet he can create 
a greater work in you. Maybe you lost your job and you need one. Maybe you've been without a job for a while and God provided a job for you. That's a defining moment, isn't it? It's a defining moment to see when God works in our lives. Maybe you went to the doctor only, you know, for a regular checkup, only to determine that there's something far greater serious in your life. And 2015 for you is going to start off in a hospital or treatments or going through whatever else is going to come your way. God's in the midst of that. God wants to take that good, bad, and ugly experience, and he wants to make us more like him. Maybe that's your Mariah today. Maybe you're standing at the foot of Mariah knowing that God is going to have to do miraculous things in your life for you to get through 2015. If that's where you are, then I would contend that's where we all ought to be. For too many of us, we coast through life. We do only the things that we can accomplish on ourselves. Who needs God when you live life that way, right? I mean, if if we aren't desperate for a miraculous work for God, then why do we need God? If I can live life based on what I can do, then why do I need God? My defining moments then become nothing more than my crowning achievements. I don't need any more crowning achievements that man can do. I need defining moments that God can sovereignly, divinely inspire. So where are you today? Where are you? Where are you in your personal journey of faith? Wherever you are, be sure of this. God is there as well. Let me wrap up with a a final defining moment. Hours before his arrest, Jesus takes his inner circle and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Several years ago, I was privileged to be able to go to to Israel and work with uh, uh, some of our missionaries over there. And on my way over there, in preparation, the really the one place that I wanted to go to the more than anything was I wanted to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I just wanted to go there. Because in my opinion, this is purely my opinion, okay, this and 60 cents now you can buy a Coke. But in my opinion, it was in the Garden that the greatest work was done. Because as Jesus took his his inner circle there and he said, I want you to wait here. I'm going to go a little bit further and I'm going to pray because the hour is heavy. The stakes are high. You stay here and pray. And as Jesus then went a little bit further, and I don't know which, I don't know where he was in the garden, but man, those olive trees, you know, the the years, how old they were, you, you, you do the math and you think that olive tree could have very realistically seen Jesus utter these words. That, to me, is cool. So Jesus went a little bit further and he knelt down. And he fully knew what was at stake. He knew what was coming his way. The the scriptures tell us, multiple accounts in the Gospels, that as he knelt down, as he began to pray, that he agonized 
to the extent that, that sweat drops of blood began to pour out of his skin. You know, some people try to explain that away. But I just take the Bible at its word. I believe blood literally came out of his pores. The agony and, and the, just the weight of what was approaching him. And he asked, Father, if there's any other way at all that this cup that I'm going to have to drink could pass on to someone else, let it be. In other words, if there's any other way that the sins of the world could be atoned for without me having to be separated from you, please let it be. You know the answer. The answer was there is no other way. Jesus then said to the Father, not my will but thine be done. He stood he began walking towards Calvary. A defining moment. Even though it was Jesus there in the garden, and even though it was Jesus there that was agonizing with sweat drops of blood over the sins of the world, past, present, and future, even though it was Jesus that was in the garden agonizing over Gary Harvey's sin and failures and shortcomings, it was a defining moment for me and you. Even though it was Jesus in the garden, it was a defining moment for me and you. Because when Jesus stood, and when Jesus confirmed to the Father that it was not my will but thine be done, sin was in the process of being forgiven. It was in the process of being crushed. He would be nailed to the cross, he would die, he would be buried, and three days later, as the scripture tells us, he rose again. In that moment in the life of Jesus, defined our lives today. Defining moments. What are your defining moments? As you close out 2014... And as you begin 2015, I would invite you to make room in your lives for God to work defining moments in them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for empowering us to live the life that you have called us to live. Now, Father, for our lives this year, for the beginning of a brand new year, Lord, we give them to you. Just as Abraham offered Isaac to you, Lord, we offer ourselves back to you. We offer our hopes, we offer our dreams, we offer our goals, we offer our failures, our sin, we offer every bit of it right back to you. Because you love us. Take this time now, Lord. Mold our hearts, shape our spirits, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.